Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Amber Munding. And I'm Tamara Dykey. And, and this, this is the Bring, Bring Music Home Podcast. Bring Music Home features the people and places of live music culture, as told through the voices of passionate venue owners, staff, fans, and musicians nationwide. Listen to the stories of culture and community from the industry insiders who shape live music culture today. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you both. And for everybody that's listening, this is the Bring Music Home podcast, which features the people and places of live music culture as told through the voices of passionate venue owners, artists, staff, fans, and as I mentioned, artists, but, you know, can't emphasize enough all of these amazing musicians and collaborators nationwide. So we have two really special people here. I'm Amber Mundinger. And I'm Tamara Dykey. Welcome to it. So we'd love maybe for both of you to introduce yourselves. I guess I'll start. I'm uh, Stephen Ben Susan, the owner, president of Blue Note Entertainment Group. We own and operate the Blue Note Jazz Clubs around the world. We have locations, uh, three locations in the United States, um, as well as seven locations overseas. I'm Lawrence Matthews. Uh, I also go by the name Don Lifted. I'm an artist of all types, uh, also a filmmaker, uh, and I run or semi-run, I'm a gallery director for a venue and space, a multi-use space called Tone HQ uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. And I guess to kick it off, um, Stephen, Blue Note is such a revered name in the music space. I mean, we were just talking before we kicked this off about what a special space and venue it is in New York. But can you give some context as to the first Blue Note Jazz Club and how the brand has really expanded to our listeners? Yeah, the Blue Note, we've been around since 1981. People think we've been around since 1950, but it's only been since the 80s. Uh, My father, Danny Ben-Susan, started the club. You know, and shortly after that, we realized that there's opportunities uh, elsewhere for the Blue Note brand, and we ended up opening in 1988 in Tokyo. So we, um, we have a licensing model where we license the local operators, but we also book the talent for all the clubs. So all of that comes out of our office in New York. So from there, we went to other venues in Tokyo, other uh, cities in Tokyo, in Japan, other cities in Japan. Um, we were in Osaka, Fukuoka, and Nagoya. And from there, we uh, expanded into Milan, Italy, 
you know, those were the international clubs for a while where as a company, we got a little bit busy. We opened up other venues in the United States. We opened up BB Kings in New York, a Highline Ballroom in New York. We currently operate the Sony Hall in uh, New York, as well as the Howard Theater in D.C. Um, we were booking the Regatta Bar Jazz Club up in uh, Boston for almost 20 years. But then in around 2014, we started uh, up again with Blue Note Expansion. to opened in Hawaii, uh, Napa, two in China, uh, in Shanghai, and in Beijing. And then most recently, two locations opened in Brazil, in uh, Rio and Sao Paulo. So... You know, and it's it's great. We have the opportunity to really send musicians all over the world. And um, because of the name and the brand that, and people trust us in all these markets, they've all been very successful. You know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is that when you go to the Blue Note, most of the people, well, not most, but a lot of people who come to the club, they don't even know who's performing. They're asking when they get there. And, you know, that's important uh, for us and to maintain the brand and, you know, make people feel that they can just come to the club and expect to hear great music. Yeah. And I mean, all of those places, you know, aren't too shabby. They're all good places to visit. I feel like we could do a Blue Note tour. Yeah. Well, we'll let's wait till the uh, COVID dies down <laughs> in some of these places like China and Milan. And we seem to follow COVID around the world, actually, between with uh, China, Milan, Brazil. It was an interesting time. Yeah, I can only imagine. I guess to kind of jump off of that, like when the pandemic hit, Obviously, like, you know, you being in New York, myself being in New York, and I think even for Tamara in Austin and, and Lawrence in Memphis, things closed pretty quickly. How was that for you guys for Blue Note around the world? Because that had to be so interesting to be looking at, like, so many locations and closures. Yeah, we, we saw it come fairly quickly. Actually, we saw it in China first with the clubs closed, and then Japan closed, and then Milan closed, and we saw it coming. I mean, we knew... Uh, towards the end of February that something was going to happen in New York in, Mar- in a couple of weeks. So, you know, uh, everything closed very quickly. And then, you know, we didn't know how long it was going to last. Nobody really knew anything. We were hopeful that it would be a lot shorter than it was, but it wasn't. And then we had to figure out what to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think Lawrence, it'd be interesting to get your perspective from the side of, of Memphis, right? So I don't know that it was one of the first cities to close, but it certainly caught on. Can you talk us through what that was like for you, you know, being a multidisciplinary, you know, artist and musician from your perspective, what was that closure like and and how did that impact you and and other creatives in Memphis? I think uh, we had a very like different kind of situation with it. Like we have our one space here and we were like getting started. Like 2019 was our first operational year. So we were doing a whole lot that year. And like started 2020 with like a lot of momentum and a lot of like success. Like we did it, we made it a year. Let's go. We finna really kill them this time. And then like, boom, everything happened and kind of shut us down in the middle of like our first exhibition. And then I had like work up in a gallery and that had got shut down. I was supposed to continue the rest of my tour and then that got shut down. And so for me, I was one of those people, like I was a doofus. I was like really skeptical at first. I was just like, what is this? Like, you know, I just, things come and go. So you just don't think it. And then also like being in the South, I think a lot of times we don't take certain things seriously at first. And so Memphis was really, really late on a lot. And it wasn't until like, maybe it affected like basketball. We're really, this is serious now. We can't go to the Grizzly games. And it was just like, everything stopped. And so even in that stoppage, there was, you know, again, it's like, it's the South. 
Tennessee is obviously Tennessee, as you heard on the news. And so for that reason, the city and the state government really weren't helping, just to put it like that. Like, you know, they were helping to sow misinformation and doubt and different things in people. So the slowdown or the stoppage, it, it, it didn't really like stop, stop. It kind of mm-hmm. kept going and then stopped and kept going and then people would get sick. And then, you know, it, it just, if you could not get sick, you just kept going. For us, you know, we didn't really do anything all of 2020. Uh, we took the whole year off after everything got weird. And then we didn't have our first like events, performances, exhibitions until like the middle of 2021, once everybody had kind of like got their first wave of vaccinations. And then like Delta and then Omicron came and then stopped everything again. And it, it got weird. It just got kept going up and down. So like for us, for the last two years, we've only had, you know, maybe four, five, six events on and off. Whereas our schedule used to be very, very, you know, on point. Mm-hmm. And again, like I, I've said it in some of our previous conversations, like there's all these weird loopholes. So you find venues using those loopholes to stay operational in their traditional capacity. But I'm very grateful that we didn't maybe do some of those things because a lot of people got sick behind those things. Like venues here who were like, you know, have been operational and people got really comfortable and started to be very lax and stopped right. masks and stopped doing different things. And like when Omicron came through, maybe nearly like three-fourths of the creative community here got COVID all through Christmas and into the new year. And so for us, you know, we're trying to do what we can do, but then it's also hard because again, we, we just got started. And so I'm, I'm seeing how it's affecting a lot of artists. I'm seeing how it's affecting a lot of businesses. You know, if we didn't have 2019 to get all the funding that we had got, maybe we wouldn't be here, right? You know, staff has changed a lot because people are like, wow, I maybe have been hinging my financial whatever on this thing and maybe it's not as sustainable as two years has gone past maybe i need to go pivot and do something else and then you have a lot of artists who are maybe just getting their footing working with us whether they be visual or musical or what but then everything kind of stops so how do you keep your name out how do you do shows you know in the south it's very much about doing shows like you can release music that's fine and all but you get your fans from doing shows and so starting artists like you just started and you're just making a name for yourself in the city. And then for two years, you can't do shows. You maybe have to just become a civilian again. And I've seen that happen to a lot of different people. Like, I'm very thankful that, like, I, I signed my first deal a week before the shutdown. And that mm-hmm. hurt me a ton. But thankfully, I had a deal and had money and had relationships and all these things. I had been working in my career. So as much as it maybe punched me, like it completely knocked other people out. So that's been an interesting thing to navigate. And it's been very hard on a lot of people. A lot of people are burnt out. A lot of people are unsure about what they even want to do with their lives anymore. But also the beautiful part of it, I've seen people lean more into their craft than they ever have before because all they have is that, you know, the, the social aspects of being a person are iffy right now. The... Um, performative aspects of being an artist and being on the social scene and doing all this stuff is iffy right now. So you really have to be in your studio. You really have to be dedicating your energy to making. And so, you know, that's, that's been the the transition for me. Yeah. I mean, 
so interesting because I also think like Stephen, you know, for you guys, in order to continue to keep the Blue Note name consistently out there and to support your artist, you started doing streams of shows, correct? Yeah, I guess it was about really in September-ish, we decided to really start that. We didn't really want to do it unless the quality was really good. And initially we did some streaming of artists at their homes, you know, just on our social media platforms, just to get something out there while everybody was sitting in their houses in March and in April and and, into May. Uh, But then eventually we realized, okay, let's do some shows from the club uh, in New York and from uh, the club in Tokyo. So we actually have a great partnership with NHK Japan, which is uh, public uh, broadcasting in Japan. And um, the New York team was great. They came actually into the New York club and set up almost like a studio which was amazing. And we were able to stream, you know, I'd say about 20 shows uh, in very high quality, some of which ended up on Japanese TV later on. And then, you know, and then we tried to be creative. Then we said, okay, we have people in all these other markets where, uh, you know, maybe we could do something special from New York for people in Japan or do something from, and so we had like, we brought an artist in, we brought Ron Carter in at 8 a.m., and he did a stream just for Japanese audiences. And they sold really well, you know, in the beginning. We were doing really well with sales. Artists were able to make some money. We were able to cover some costs and keep uh, the lights open. You know, so it was great in the in the beginning. Those streaming numbers have definitely dwindled over time. And, and uh, you know, NHK was just in from like September 2020 through December 2020. So we only did that time period from... Uh, from the club. But then, you know, there has to be a streaming strategy for us going forward. We really haven't figured out the best way to monetize it yet for the artists or for us. Um, you know, just putting up a show that's live from the club. I mean, you, 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 we sell some tickets, but it's not overwhelming. And sometimes, you know, you don't cover your costs because you do have to have a production team in place in order to do it. So, you know, that's kind of what we've been doing. We, we're lucky that, you know, in, in certain markets, like the Blue Note Hawaii was actually able to open fairly early, reopen fairly early. So that was, uh, that was great. Yeah, because that was fairly early into everything because you guys have a big outdoor space there, right? No, we don't have an outdoor space there. But in Napa, actually, we pivoted to a, an outdoor space at the Charles Krug Winery. And it was great, actually. We were able to do outdoors about 50 shows uh wow yeah which you know got a lot of people working and and spaced really spacious you know area in the winery and and we're outdoors which was great hawaii just you know there there was not much COVID early on in hawaii so we were able to reopen there you know mid 2020 i think it was around september at a reduced capacity and then we just we've been open there ever since and capacities kept getting you know greater and greater but new york we weren't able to open we've tried the streaming like you said we we uh, we actually did a few um shows in other markets where we can go outdoors so in new york for example we kind of said new york is going to miami and we found a a great venue uh, the north beach band show which was they actually cared about COVID protocols in the middle of Miami. It was amazing. <laughs> so it was a venue that's usually 1,200. We brought it down to about 400, and we did a bunch of shows there with artists like Robert Glasper and Arturo Sandoval and, and others in that space. So we were trying to keep busy. You know, I was just trying to figure out how to keep people working at that point, you know, and that was the, that was the hardest part. I had people that have been with us for a very long time that, you know, I, I had to lay people off. I had to 
figure out how to, you know, keep some people on payroll. You know, I think that the important part of all of this for venues on the venue side was what Neva did and um, the organization that really helped push the Save Our Stages Act, which got a lot of venues a lot of money and enabled us to open quicker than we thought we would be able to and got a lot of people working quickly. So we're very grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. They've done incredible work, and and we also lockstepped with them pretty early on uh, in in the process of working on our Bring Music Home book, and just an incredible group of people. But you know, to see an organization like that form uh, something that had never been done before, also right out of the out of the the need for a louder voice united by many to be able to go to Congress and to be able to adapt and and to make. Uh, make their voices heard and, and ultimately to lead to change. I'm glad that you brought up the streaming piece. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that that will continue to to be a part of the way that you program your shows going forward and that monetizing is still questionable. And I think, you know, you're not the only venue that's, you know, experiencing those circumstances. I think that offering a uh, streaming component for festivals and for live shows and so forth, or it's going to continue to become uh, an important dynamic Um Lawrence, I'd love to hear from your side, you know, as a performer, you said you guys only done a handful of shows, obviously, in 2021. And now that you have been officially named a South by Southwest artist for 2022 and are coming to Austin, what, what, <laughs> to perform, uh, I'd love to hear from you about, you know, the way that you're feeling about live performance, about streaming. What does the new dynamic look like for you now that venues are open again? And how does that all sit with you? So at first, like Steven said, like I remember quality being an issue. I remember when everybody first doing the stream, like they were just, oh, we're going to stream everything. And it just was bad. Like some of the first verses were terrible. Like, you know, it was just the quality was bad. The audio was bad. And so that was something for me that I was like, yo, I'm not doing none of this. I was like, this, I don't, this looks bad. I, as a person who uses a lot of video components in my work, but then also, I'm a very visual person. Obviously, I'm a visual artist, too. I was like, yeah, I'm not sacrificing the thing just to do it. So for me, I, I was like, I'm going to hold off. You know, the organization, Tone, they had some things, some stream things. And we had some of those same problems that you saw everybody else have in that early April, May, kind of March time. It was it was rough. And uh, for me, I was like, we just need to stop that. And, you know, I got asked to perform a few different times virtually, but I was just like, I was seeing the difference in the production value, right? I don't perform a lot anyway. So for me, I wasn't maybe rushing to perform during that period of time, especially if it couldn't exist in a monetized capacity. Uh, and I also was working on an album. So I was like, I'm just going to take this time and just record. And so I also sat back and watched people be successful and not successful with this virtual element of things and so in my brain I'm, I'm really like I, I enjoy now what I'm seeing this mix of like okay we, we try we try we try we messed it up but we got it right now so let's combine this with, with what we've been doing right but then there's also you know and this is probably the wrong person to bring up right now because he's always in trouble but Dave Chappelle when Dave Chappelle first started doing those shows at his house he always like his barn and stuff. He was spacing people out. And so I was paying attention to that. And then also paying attention to the live, like recorded element of that. 
and then just kind of building my own ideas for what maybe the future of what my stuff could be in this environment, let's just say if, if it never went away or something like that. You know, artists are creative, artists forward culture. It's our job to innovate in that capacity, right? And so for me, I was never so messed up about everything. I just looked at it as like a challenge and like evolution of creativity. It's like, Uh can we now present ourselves to the world where we maybe can't be so close to people? Maybe we have to be outside. Maybe we have to do this and that. And so the first show that I had when I came back after my album dropped, it was like, I think in November or something. It was um, socially distanced. It was in a theater, socially distanced. Like I had set the seating up a certain type of way and just made sure to be really, really like serious about how we were doing stuff. But I borrowed a lot of that from what I was seeing other venues do in terms of bringing people in a space successfully and safely. And to my knowledge, nobody got sick at my show. And that was the one show that I had before Omicron. But with South by Southwest, I'm excited for that. I don't know what it's going to be like. I've never been. I'm just like a fish out of water right now. I also want to say that uh, like Coachella, like I had tickets to Coachella in 2020 before everything. And you just saw that they like lifted their COVID protocols. So I will be at Coachella. I'm not performing, but I bought tickets. I will be there in a hazmat suit because that's just nuts to me. I don't think we're ready for that yet. And, you know, I know what they're trying to do. You know, again, like not to be that guy, but again, a lot of people around me have gotten sick. For me, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, we're just going to just get everybody sick and we'll all be fine. And who makes it makes it mentality. It seems like it's kind of being forwarded, right? And so I appreciate venues who are trying to figure out, like what Stephen was saying, trying to figure out a way to merge these two ideas. Because again, if you've been working in physical venues, physical people, what does success look like for us now when we can't do that? And, you know, one of the first things I told my staff, I was like, yo, we can only have this many people in here. But if we Mm -hmm. want to do this other thing right, millions of people or thousands of people could see what we're doing here. If we focus in on this and combine it with a safer version of this over here. Now, I'm not going to pretend like they maybe listened, but that is still my feeling about this. Like, I can now be in Memphis, Tennessee and never leave and see the shows that Steven and Blue Note is putting on. I can see these things, whereas maybe before I would have had to travel. Right. And I think the silver lining in all of this stuff is like it's made our world smaller. And so I can experience things and see things. Like you were just talking about doing shows with people in Japan. In another scenario, maybe that would have never came across your mind unless you were opening a venue there. Mm-hmm. There is an opportunity and a silver lining to make our world smaller and our reach farther than it's ever been because of this cursed thing, COVID. Uh, We just have to be innovative and we just have to be creative and smart about stuff and not be stuck in the past. Yeah, moving forward. I agree. Well, so speaking of moving forward, right, Stephen, with these new changes to mask mandates, curious to hear how Blue Note is navigating those, especially from a global perspective, but specifically, let's say, New York. How are you handling things there? Um, It's interesting. Uh, You know, New York, it's vaccinated. You have to be vaccinated to enter the venue. 
and the mask is up to you. And we are following whatever New York State is telling us to do and New York City is telling us to do. But you see people who uh, are continuing to wear their masks inside. But look, I operate venues that are where people come and eat and drink and sit down. So it's very, it's very difficult situation for us and for restaurants and for for anyone trying to make a living on, on the way we are right now. Because not only are there are fewer people coming out, it's just that when you're inside, most people aren't going to be wearing their masks. You know, last night, for example, I was in the room watching a show, and, and I would say about half of the people in the room were wearing their masks when they weren't eating, but other people weren't. I mean, and people have to take their masks off to eat and drink. You know, in other markets, like we're in Napa, uh, in California, in uh, where we are in Napa, there is no vaccine requirement, yet we're requiring a vaccine. As a venue, we think at least we can do that to protect people and, and our staff. So in order to go see a, a show at the Blue Note Napa, you have to be vaccinated. Uh, and there's been a lot of pushback from people in the market, but we're staying firm with that. You know, so we try to do what we can. You know, it's, uh, you know, people seem to be, uh, you know, they're doing what they want to do, what they feel comfortable doing. And um, there's nothing more I think that we can do to, to make it any easier. Our venues are very small and and tight. I mean. Right. Everywhere in New York, you know, is just so intimate and everybody's in such close quarters. What was your first show back, Stephen, that you were at? Like, what was that experience like? Because as a venue owner and just getting to see like people in your space and an artist perform, you know, that had to be really, really special. Yeah, it was. You know, before we reopened, I was in the room watching the streaming and I'm like, this really sucks. I'm, I'm here by myself me and the band you know it's like and then they end their song do you clap <laughs> right. do you not clap it's, if they clap it's yeah. really me clapping <laughs> you know so so that was strange but uh, our first show back in june was uh with robert glasper and uh speaking of dave Chappelle, he came in our first night and just got up on stage and surprised the crowd and and, and wouldn't leave the stage for a while which was cool but uh, <laughs> i think that's his that's yeah. his shtick isn't it yeah yeah it is and and the uh you know, it, it, you can see the uh, the energy was great. The artists you know, were the more appreciative than the fans, I think. I mean, it, it just for the fact that they're on stage and doing what they love to do and, and with the real audience, it was something special to see. You know, we, we opened the Blue Note New York, reopened in June of um, last year of 2021, and attendance was really strong all the way through the end of the year. And then in January, we kind of hit a wall, you know, and hopefully we're seeing audiences come back now towards the middle to end of February. But, you know, I was surprisingly almost hitting our pre-pandemic numbers, basically, wow. up until January, which was amazing. You know, people are coming out. We are seeing different types of people, too. Like, you know, there's a lot less tourists. So uh, I, I was worried that, you know, the Blue Note being a, uh, a big destination for tourists in New York, I was wondering if, you know, who would be coming to these shows that we're putting on. And, you know, locals filled in the gaps. They were dying to see shows and, and, and get back to as normal as possible. I know. It's like, I think we all just, you know, missed music so much in terms of like the live experience that as locals and in New York, I feel like especially like it was so bad for so long that everybody's just like, I got to have this experience again. So that is kind of, you know, one of the amazing things. Um for both of you, I want to ask if we had a crystal ball, <laughs> what do you see as we move ahead into the rest of the year? Like from each of your perspectives, I think it will be interesting, you know, Lawrence, as you mentioned, like with Coachella making that announcement a couple of days ago that they're not going to 
you know, ask for vaccination status or mask or anything like that. I mean, I think like that could change before you get to the festival dates. But how are you guys feeling kind of about the year ahead? I mean, I feel pretty optimistic, but I'm curious to hear your predictions. You know, I think I was very wrong at the beginning and I've been right ever since in terms of what my predictions for this stuff is and not to be morbid, but I was like, certain people are losing too much money. Certain other people are making more money than they ever made. And it's creating a deficit in who controls this space. And for that reason, I just feel like they're going to just, again, send people back to work, do the things, get back to it. You get sick, you get sick, come back. If you die, you die, you come back. Like, it's just, that's how they've been operating, right? And so as I'm seeing people lift mask mandates and all of these different things I'm seeing, you know, especially after Omicron, like Omicron just ran through everybody so fast. But at the same time, we have this weird thing about how we value life as people, uh, as, as Americans or something. I don't know. But, you know, people will look at the stats and will be like, oh, only this much, only this much bad happened or only these people died. So we can keep going. And, you know, maybe I, I'm not the type of person that is okay with that. And like the way that I show up in the world is very much still following the rules or whatever for all of this stuff. But as things go on, it's like, it's just going to be the flu. It's just going to be something that happens from time to time. And, you know, you people have said like, oh, at some point we're all going to have it. And I would not want that, but it seems that's the kind of direction stuff is going. And I think, again, like the world has to keep going and people have to keep going. And the thing about people is that people will continue to keep going regardless of what's trying to destroy us uh, for better or worse. And so I just think that people will keep going. And I think people can only take so much inside. I think the world is going crazy and that's for a reason. Like it's because of this climate and this, this thing that we're in. And so it's really weird, rebellious act to be out and to continue to be out. And so as much as I'm inside, I can still see the other side of continuing to live and to keep going and to not succumb to what has been put in front of us. And I very much see that being everything. Like people are just going to mm. forget this. I'm sick of this. It's been three years. I'm going out. I just think that that people are just going to keep going as people have done as long as we've yeah. been here. And that's positive. It's scary, but it's positive. And so, yeah, that, that's, that's my little take on it. I like it. What about you, Stephen? Unfortunately, this is here to stay and, and it's not going anywhere. So uh, it seems that the governments are pulling back on restrictions uh, and everybody's just going to have to really be as careful or as responsible as they want to be. So it's uh, this every man for yourself mentality seems to be where things are headed. Is that good or bad? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, it's not the best situation, but since this, we're going to have to live with this and we're going to have to get our shots from time to time and we're going to have to, uh, you know, continue as we are unless another vaccine is, comes out that really stops this in its tracks. You know, I, I just think what you see happening now is just going to continue to go forward and, um, for us, our venues are, you know, where we try to pivot and do other things. We try to come up with new revenue models and ways for musicians and for us to make some money. But at the end of the day, we're a live music venue and people want to see live music. And 
Um, they want to come, you know, see a show in an intimate environment. And there are some risks now that are associated with that that mm-hmm. we didn't have before. Right. So people have to figure that out for themselves and be careful. I mean, I've we had a show a couple of weeks ago where I would say almost everybody in the audience is wearing a mask. It was an older demographic, you know, and everybody was doing it. It was great. For me, it was great to see, you know, and because they're taking responsibility for themselves and, and trying to still live their lives, but in a new new way, I guess. Yeah, so I think that's where we're, we're headed. Um, I'm hoping things change eventually some, you know, if there are variants that make this weaker and weaker, great, but we don't know. We don't know anything right now. Right. Yeah, well, I look forward to coming to more Blue Note shows and to seeing Lawrence in a hazmat suit at Coachella. Yeah, I will definitely see you at Coachella, but also see you on the stage in South By, which is super exciting. Yeah. And we really appreciate both of you taking the time to chat with us. Um, And I think, you know, Lawrence, I know you had some new, you have some new music that just came out recently. You have some stuff coming out in the very near future. Do you want to give us some context as to what people are going to get to listen to? Yeah. So I'm releasing a song on March 15th called The Rope. It's a song I wrote in like, early like well late 2019 going into 2020 um and it's an interesting record i don't know how to describe anything that i do uh i just let people do it for me (laughs) so yeah here we go
belly in water Nothing but gang to the left you the slaughter Left you the tone, left you the growlers Left you with tips, a pocket of dollars Drop on a piece what you made in the summer First that you saw when you niggas were slumming Seven in the rooms, praise be to God or I put you in tombs Don't you forget that I made all the rules And locals are stuck in and lacking the views Packing them up and then flipping the move Packing them out and then come out in blue Counting my money on toilet seat views And I ain't even got to my finishing mood I'm fuck with the dude, I ain't the one for the present Beat all the drugs and the anger, depression Feeding it up with the bands and the pedals Just to invest in these goals and these records Get us some product and make me some leverage Sign me a deal and I'm still getting better Nobody in this room Wow, that's great, Lawrence. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Of course, of course. Y'all are they're like the first ones that aren't the people who worked on it. Wow, we feel so special. Thank you. <laughs> of course.